Hello and welcome to the Ballot Box Global Election Coverage from a team of political scientists. I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besser in New York City. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of The Ballot Box. Today we're going to talk about Danish elections and what uh, our very own Chris Terry described as one of the most consequential elections for Denmark in recent history. Mm. But before we get into these very consequential elections, um, let's ask Johnny and Chris how they're doing. Um, Chris, how's uh, Manchester? I heard I heard you went to a very nice Christmas market. Yeah, which feels weird because it's it was about 16 or 17 degrees C today. Um, I had a kind of really odd moment where I was at a Christmas market with someone singing. Um, first of all, um, it feel, it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, and and um, let it, and then let it snow while wearing a t-shirt, which <laughs> felt very odd. <laughs> yeah, similarly, was out and about yesterday without a coat on. It was really strange. Like there's in the middle yeah, of yeah, it does not feel like November, apart from the yeah. fact that it's really dark, really early still, because it's filling. Climate climate change cannot change. Climate change just does not shift the the Earth's gravitational point now. <laughs> although I did, although I did hear terrifyingly that uh, when when the you know as as uh, the seas get heavier because of the ice caps melting. Um, the, the the earth will kind of it'll revolve at a slightly slower pace apparently um very slight very slight only about a few milli, milliseconds per day so there is you know these huge changes obviously not the sunlight yeah, yeah. okay wow it's the same in new york actually it's really hot and humid yeah it was yeah. this weekend it's yeah it's kind of terrifying but at the same time enjoyable in, in the in the very present moment um how are you, Johnny? Are you in? You're in London now, not in not in Scotland. Yeah, well, I'm in London, packing up the flat a lot basically this afternoon. Um, yeah, my uh, uh, we're well, listeners will probably know that I have a job at Glasgow now, so we are in the process of moving out. Um, so yeah, so I've been sorting stuff that's going to charity shops and things, and um, yeah, um, put my partner on a plane this morning to DC for her new job as well. Um, so yeah, so all change here um but, but okay otherwise yeah i mean it's the 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 democracy power couple right there um mm-hmm. John <laughs> university of glasgow it's yeah it's it's been great to see you guys uh be so successful so after uh kind of agreeing that it's 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 unseasonably warm in in both sides of the atlantic on both sides of the atlantic um we can talk about a country that's not known for being uh warm um but it's known for having very solid institutions and very high quality of life being small a model to the world denmark all right so chris if you you before we got on sorry warmest nordic country though i would say like mm. oh well yeah you're right i guess so yeah it's all relative <laughs> it's all relative it's all relative Chris, if you had to, you before we got on, um, before we started recording, you described this as one of the most consequential elections. Well, um, I, I, I would say the single most consequential election in terms of the party system um, since since two thousand and one. Two thousand and one represented a kind of big shift in the way that the kind of Danish party system worked, and I think this is probably a shift 
of an equivalent size, albeit it's kind of coming off stuff that was already beginning to happen in 2019. So it's not like one big push, but yeah. Uh, who who won the election and um, what other, what you know, in addition to, to it being a huge shift, what other things should listeners know right off the bat? So, um, I mean, the winner of the election was the um, Prime Minister, Mette Friedrichsen, um, who um, won the last election fairly soundly too. The Social Democrats have naturally won their largest um, vote, popular vote since 2001, funnily enough. <laughs> um, that it's um, a really good result for them. Um, yeah. um, second party is is pretty substantial at this point um as well that looks a lot more lopsided than a yeah yeah and meanwhile their primary opponents since 2001 venstra the um kind of the the main his usually the main center-right party in denmark because there have been times when when um, the conservatives have been larger um, has had its worst election results in in thirty years. I think is actually is as um, well, my um, recollection. So they, so in those terms, first of all, of the of the big of that starting point, social democrats have done incredibly well. Venture have done very badly. We've also seen a kind of bunch of new entrants. Um, the moderates are quite quite significant. Um, they've conferred. Um, but they're led by a former Venture Prime Minister. So that probably just saying that out loud has probably explained a little bit for people. Um, and then changes on the radical right, the uh, Danish People's Party, which was a major presence in the country and was kind of one of the most famous radical right parties in Europe, is now the smallest party in Parliament. Um, but there's a new radical right party called the Denmark Democrats, who um, won about eight percent of the vote. So the radical right hasn't gone away, but mm-hmm. kind of a Venstre breakaway as well. It's a former Venstre. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, well, kind of a bit of both because it was it was founded by the former Venstre um, immigration minister, and she. she um, is of course kind of big leader, but almost immediately after she split away, she was joined by four MPs from the Danish People's Party. So in a sense, it's kind of a breakaway from both. Um, it yeah, um, and I would say it's very much taking very similar positions to the Danish People's Party. Um, and then yeah, and then. Some other parties have kind of been winners and losers. The Liberal Alliance have done very well. It's kind of quite a libertarian party. Um, the social liberals have done quite badly. <laughs> um, on the other hand, um, who basically the party that I think, as Jonathan will probably explain a bit, um, basically kicked off this election campaign. So they've kind of been punished for that, I think. Um, and yeah, um, but yeah, I think the really significant um change is actually the relationship between parties because the social democrats are now essentially trying to form even though they could form a government of the left on these numbers albeit incredibly narrow narrowly what what um has been usually described in danish politics um, in recent decades 
as the red bloc um, has a majority of one, but they have formed governments on the basis of a majority of one before. So that wouldn't be that wouldn't be out of character to do that. Um, but instead of forming a government on that basis, um, Friedrichsen is trying to form a government of the centre with um with the moderates and with um Venstre and um as I understand it right now with a left-wing party called the Socialist People's Party or some or, and they now prefer to translate the name as Green Left but yeah great and um so thank you for that that great kind of uh summary of of why this election was important and the sort of main elements to it this is mm. the first time we talk about Denmark proper. Um, yeah, yeah, we've talked about Sweden before, so obviously there's some similarities with Sweden, but yeah, and, yeah. and Norway. So and we so talked about Denmark via speaking about Greenland, right? Analyzing Greenland at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, just for for the benefit of our listeners, could you could you tell us a little bit about the constitutional setup of of Denmark? Um, maybe how many seats? Um, why why? You know, there are so many parties in Parliament. I could count twelve from Denmark, plus uh, three from other territories. Um, or from other territories. Four, <laughs> you're right. Four. Yeah. Um, super important in this election, actually, because they have decided the Red Bloc's parliamentary majority um, mm -hmm. without the Faroese and Greenlandic um, deputies. The Red mm -hmm. not actually have a parliamentary majority. Um, they did. Not proper, so which again has happened before, so it's that's not unusual, that's not necessarily unusual. That's essentially what happened in um in 2011 when um when Helle Falling Schmidt won, she she um also for the social democrats, she she formed a government. Um, we've always we're basically the same, yeah, so with the same kind of situation in the Greenlandic and um and uh fairies um representatives um but three three out of the four went to parties to the left and that allowed her to form a government of um, with a majority of one um so again like there, there's real parallels there but what's different is essentially the way in which um the parties are reacting to that result great no but before we so I think that that's a really important detail. But so so wait, break down break down the constitutional setup. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'll try I'll try and do that now for now. So um, Denmark has um, we, we discussed with Norway and Sweden this idea of um, negative parliamentarism. I think it's probably the first thing to start with, and I think Denmark is of of the part of the. Scandinavian democracy is perhaps the kind of country where where negative parliamentarism is like most important. Um, negative parliamentarism, again, just to reiterate for people who either don't remember our Norway or you know, who didn't listen to or didn't don't remember our Norway and Sweden episodes, is essentially a form of parliamentary democracy in which the description of um, in which basically the approach to confidence votes is inverted. So in in a country like the UK, you vote confidence in a government. Um, is fundamentally how governments are formed. What happens in negative parliamentary democracies, which is basically the Scandinavian states, the Scandinavian countries, 
um, is that you vote against the government. So you can kind of basically vote in a way that says, I tolerate a government, but I'm not necessarily either part of it or, or, or actively supporting it. So that, that seems like quite a small semantic change, I know, but it does create the basis for lots of minority governments. Um, and and um, Denmark very rare, only very rarely has majority governments. Most governments in Denmark end up being minority governments. Um, sometimes minority coalitions, um, but um, the um, outgoing government for this election was just a minority government of the Social Democrats, even though they only won at the last election 48 out of the 179 seats in Parliament. Um, they were being supported by other left-wing government and parties from outside, essentially. Um, what that does is it makes Parliament, the forecourting, incredibly powerful. <laughs> um, because um, And Denmark probably has one of the most powerful legislatures in the world because of the fact that because governments quite frequently have um, quite loose parliamentary uh, are quite are kind of strong minorities within parliament. There's often a lot of um, bartering that goes on, you know, vote by vote, kind of coalition building. Quite a lot of coalition building, even in the kind of 2000, 2000s and 2010s, when Danish politics became more polarised than it's ever been. Um, there were still kind of quite a lot of attempts to kind of build kind of cross block um, majorities on individual pieces of legislation to try and make things um, more kind of solid, to try and make sure that things would last for longer and because it was kind of considered more stable. And because quite often the um, majorities, in inverted commas, were quite small. I, mean, I was just referencing the 2011 election where the red bloc won a majority of only one, which was off the back of um, winning three out of the four seats assigned in Parliament to in, in the Falkalting to um, the Greenlandic and Faroese MPs who typically abstained on domestic issues. <laughs> Therefore, in, in essence, on lots of domestic legislation, they it was actually the blue bloc that had the majority. Um, so yeah, so you there's constantly there's quite very frequently a need for um, bartering. Um, what's also significant about the um, and the Falkalting, um is also quite often quite fragmented because Denmark has very proportional electoral system. Um, the Folketing has 179 seats um, with a fresh legal threshold of only 2%. Technically, it's actually possible to get a seat if you're below 2% as well, if you get a certain number of votes in a, in a district. Um, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what it is, but that, that is possible. Um, so there's like a double threshold. One is percentage-wise, and another is like absolute numbers. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's something to do with the number of personal votes that are kind of. I, right. so I haven't had. I haven't. The Danish no. electoral system is quite complex. Yeah, um, yeah no, no. But it, it, it is. It's a really and I 
um, and it's but it's a really nice electoral system because it gives people loads of flexibility because you it's basically open list although parties can put forward lists in a kind of semi-open style if they want to which is another i think it's incredibly rare that they do that or, or basically no one does anymore but um that's something you can theoretically do um and and the personal votes that people get are often quite um are seen as quite important so for example in this election um the leader of the social liberals or the radical party of um sometimes called um resigned in part because um and, and part pointing out that she had um lost a lot of personal votes this election so therefore she was saying I've not been endorsed by the voters in my district as much. And that's a kind of sign of like the decline in my personal popularity as well as the, the, the decline in popularity of the party. Um, so yeah, personal votes are seen as very important in, in Danish public culture. So not only that, but parties, you know, you, know, you also can have quite a fragmented landscape, but you often have quite a um but you, within them, parties, party members can sometimes feel quite empowered to be um, to um, kind of make themselves kind of known separately too. Um, Abby, I think party discipline is still fairly strong in Denmark. <laughs> and um, so there are 175 seats from Denmark proper. Yes. And two for Greenland and two for the Faroe Islands, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And and obviously in, in those cases, both those territories, I guess you could say, have um, their own party systems. So the parties elected from them are different in all cases, albeit they typically align themselves with either the left or the right in general, or, you know, they have kind of stronger relations with um, some parties and others, um, and then um, and then yeah uh, yeah, and it's fair to say as well that Danish elections over the years have frequently been quite volatile. <laughs> um, there's a particularly infamous election, in the, um, which I'm very fond of, the 1973 election, which is sometimes called the the, the earthquake election. Um, because about six parties entered parliament at once um, that had been that were either new or had or had been outside it for a number of years. Um, it's like really disruptive election because of the kind of aftermath of the oil crisis. Party that came second had not existed at the previous election. <laughs> yeah, like, it was a it was a really kind of and so you can have these kind of bursts of kind of of new party entrants coming through that said i would say that the danish party system has typically been perhaps more stable than you might imagine given how low the threshold is this is not the netherlands <laughs> like there are similarities to the netherlands but it's not a, but ultimately you know the social democrats are still capable of winning in the high 20s as they have this election um there are there are still some quite big parties, albeit fewer after this election than there were before, perhaps. Um, so yeah, it's um and, and because Denmark has quite kind of strong cleavages within its society, still, I think it's probably fair to say. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, how does the 
I mean, the, the low threshold seems to obviously allow for a lot of parties to enter parliament. We've seen mm -hmm. 14 in this election. Um, yeah. How does that, uh, but, but, but has it always been the case that Denmark has had many like smaller parties or is there a history of like fragmentation? Um, no, not so there, ha there has been a history of fragmentation, um, but it's kind of come over time. I mean, obviously there have been kind of small changes to the electoral system over time that have kind of brought, have encouraged us a little bit. Um, but um, up until the, but basically it's still sometimes the case in Denmark to talk about the party system having like a core of four parties, right? Um, the Social Democrats um, who were historically the dominant party, um, up until 2001, they'd been the largest party basically in every election under universal suffrage. Um, like most Scandinavian social democratic parties, very pow pow powerful and, and, and popular, did a bit worse than their equivalents in Norway and Sweden. I would say that's in part because the electoral system is more proportional, but it, it's also because Denmark is a um, has a kind of slightly different electoral geography to it. For example, Denmark is like is the only one of the Nordic states where the capital city has typically been left leaning. <laughs> Copenhagen is a left leaning city, whereas um, Stockholm, Helsinki, Oslo are right leaning cities. Um, um, but yeah, social democrats kind of first of all. Then on the right, you had two parties. Um, you had the Conservative People's Party and you had Venstre. Um, Conservative People's Party is a more urban right-wing party, typically a little bit more liberal on both economic issues and on um, and on um, and on um, and, and but also on things like immigration, multiculturalism, the EU. Um, Venstre isn't interesting party because it's both a centre-right party and also um, Denmark's equivalent of a kind of Nordic agrarian party. Um, it's it's um, it, it considers itself part of that family. Um, it's equivalent of a centre party, but it's always been on the right. Um, I suspect that's in part because Denmark is obviously geographically more compact um, and you don't have these kind of, kind of great northern areas stretching into the Arctic Circle where people are kind of mostly, um, you know, work, working as fishermen and things like that, which forms a kind of the agrarian base of, of those parties. So like, although it still, still has this kind of agrarian ancestry, the party is, has a kind of different relationship um, to um, and, um, to kind of party system as well. has always really been a concept, very well has been for most of its history. It's probably better to say because the party's name is still does translate as left. <laughs> but, um, just, but for almost all of its history, it's been a a right wing. It's been a centre right party. Um, in part. Where it's been a centre right party is because of the fourth component of the um, kind of core for the social liberals or radical radicala um, who are kind of early splinter from Venstre, 
who were basically made up kind of urban intellectuals um, who decided that they want um, and who kind of occupy, have occupied typically a kind of more centrist liberal position. Sometimes they've backed governments of the right, sometimes they've backed governments of the left. Um, but um, yeah, they're quite important. Up until the up until about the six, 60s, you had that was basically the core of the party system. So you had other parties that were kind of coming in and out sometimes, like the communists, um, breakaways from the communists called like left socialists. Uh, 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 yeah, you can kind of name a number of parties that because of the low threshold managed to jump in, but they were usually quite kind of quite ephemeral. Um, then in the 70s, you then in the 60s, you suddenly had the Socialist People's Party appear as a kind of party to the left of the Social Democrats, and there, um, which was initially formed on kind of more working class issues, but actually kind of very quickly turned into a party of the kind of new left, um, kind of embracing like issues to do with cultural liberalism, the environment. It now kind of positions itself kind of as, as Denmark's main Green Party. Then in the 70s, you suddenly had this massive explosion of new parties um, in, um, in, in uh, and as I mentioned, the 1973 election, um, some of which fell away quite quickly, but some of which became kind of lasting components of the party system or, or, or seemed to be lasting components of the party system. So well, the most significant was the Progress Party, which was a kind of radical right populist party um, which was initially an anti-tax party. Its leader was a um, was a, a kind of um, was an anti-tax activist who had this kind of really populist style of talking about income tax. Um, he was just kind of completely wanted to abolish it. He was a very funny man. Uh, I can't remember the, um, his name off the top of my head actually, but um, he, he um, at one point he was asked what the Progress Party's defense policy was. Uh, of course, this was the cult height of the Cold War. Denmark was a kind of NATO state. And he said his party's defence policy was to um, replace the entire Ministry of Defence with an answering machine, which played the words, we surrender in Russian. <laughs> clearly, uh, clearly kind of making a mockery of the idea of Denmark having an independent defence policy <laughs> and like paying for one. Um, Morgan Gilstrup was his name. That's it, Morgan Gilstrup. So um, he says something like, um, "As long as there are high taxes and Muslims, we'll have something to fight against." Yeah, well, yeah, and this is the thing. He very quickly moved into kind of this kind of anti-immigration territory. So, but the party was kind of quite radically neoliberal, but it was also quite. It also became it wasn't initially the case, but it became quite anti-Muslim. Um, um, but you also saw this kind of explosion of parties broadly in the centre. I won't discuss those in much detail. But um, for the after that period, you then had this kind of period where the centre parties were kind of picking the government at most elections. Um, so um, it, it became quite important to kind of barter with them. Um, that all changed in 2001, which is a kind of really um important election in Danish history and I feel like I should probably dwell on this a little bit but in 2001 um, the Social Democrats came second for the first time um, the, and 
what what that came upon was basically um, immigration becoming a huge issue. Um, so Denmark has, like a lot of, like some of the other Nordic countries, become a rapidly less homogenous society than it was. Historically, it's been an incredibly ethnically homogenous society. And then since about the 70s, the 80s, it's become rapidly more ethnically diverse, particularly a very strongly growing Muslim population. Um, yeah, um, people will remember this was post the 2001 election, but some people may remember listening to this may well remember the Danish cartoons controversy, um, where you have mass protests breaking out because of cartoons of um, the Prophet Mohammed. There's been a lot of kind of detailed discussion about um, immigration, about multiculturalism in Denmark. 2001 election basically saw the centre kind of completely collapse. Um, they've been in government with the Social Democrats um, for, the previous, for most of the previous few years. And um, that basically just like took the life out of them. That was like actually the last time that Denmark had a majority government. <laughs> um, at the same time, the radical right had shifted. The Progress Party had basically collapsed. Glistrup had um, gone, basically uh, um, had taken it to quite an extreme place. And his number two, um, Pierre Kisgaard, um, split off and formed a new party, the Danish People's Party, who we mentioned earlier, um, who um, had taken a kind of quite a different stance in that she was still very strongly anti-immigration and anti-multiculturalism, but she was also positioning um, towards a kind of more, um, what the Danish would call social position on welfare policy. Um, she was basically positioning herself in a position where she was taking a kind of welfare chauvinist position where she was talking about defending the, the welfare state, but who she was defending the welfare state from was not only people who wanted to cut the welfare state, but also, let's be frank about this, Muslims, um, who kind of basically um, making, uh, basically using a discourse in which people who have um, Islamic origin were a threat to the welfare state itself. Um, of course, this is a Nordic society, so welfare state. Denmark is frequently at the, near the top of the list of, kind of most taxed countries, highest spending countries in the world. Um, the welfare state is huge, and, and 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 Danes are incredibly proud of their welfare state. Um, typically, actually, in elections, up until then, the welfare state had been the kind of biggest issue in election campaigns. Um, and so Venstra did something quite smart, which was they basically decided to match the Social Democrats on welfare, welfare policy by saying that instead of um, by saying that instead of raising taxes, they would pay for the welfare state by cutting foreign aid, which Denmark was paying a, was was pay, paying some of the highest rates of in the world at the time. Um, and that what that basically did was neutralize the social democrats on welfare policy and then they could make the election about immigration and so after that after the election election they formed a government with the conservatives that was backed by the danish people's party from outside 
Um, and that basically created the foundations of what became the block system within the Danish party system, because the center had completely vacated the theme, apart from the social liberals. Social liberals were very pro-immigration, which therefore meant that they couldn't really form a government with that was also being, couldn't really cooperate with a bloc that was also cooperating with the Danish People's Party at that point. So therefore, that kind of basically sent them into the left bloc. <laughs> um, so you ended up with this kind of situation where you had four parties on the left and, four, and you know, often typically four parties on the right, where elections were frequently fought on, on the subject of immigration, which for a few, good few years created victories for the um for what was frequently described as the blue block or the right wing block or um however you want to call it they were they were fundamentally winning a series of elections where venture and the conservatives were were able to form governments where social democrats were kind of competing with first place with venture but ultimately the blue block was bigger than the um was bigger than the red block Right. So that was a master. That was like a master class in. Yeah, that was a real speed party. through. That was a real yeah, speed through d d the history of the Danish party system. I know. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's amazing. No, no, it's, incredible. it's incredible. And I'm trying to tie it back. <laughs> I'm trying to tie it back to the significance of this election. Yeah. Um, in a way that's that's kind of. Uh, yeah, but ba basically the reason why I think it's significant that why this election is so significant is that and that. It had already become, it was already under severe strain at the time of the last election. Mm -hmm. But at this election, I think basically the block system has ended. Um, I think the block system is now functionally dead. <laughs> um, so the party system has now completely shifted. Well, part of it is the, the red block is now deeply divided over the immigration issue. And it certainly wasn't before. Again, the Social Democrats have shifted over mm. the last years or so under the um, under under Mess Frederickson to a much more hardline position on immigration. Uh, yeah, and I would say both blocks are divided in a way because the blue block has. So it's not so much that the blue block is divided so much as the blue block now has parties within it, which fundamentally do not provide a stable majority. So neither bloc is really able to very easily form a government on its own. Um, and th this is basically, in a funny way, the outcome of, yeah. Yeah, this, this, this basically takes us back to the 2015 election. Um, so the 2011 election, for the first time in 10 years, the red bloc won an election. They won an election by one seat, <laughs> um, um, where they'd already gone quite um, quite a, a way towards moderating on immigration. Um, but they won by one seat, and they had one term of government, and they crashed out again. Um, and that was under kind of a leader who was kind of considered to be more deep on the party's more liberal wing, but they kind of been forced by the practicalities of where the party system was to, to head in a kind of more staunchly um, kind of anti-immigration position. Um, the 2015 election was a really interesting one um, because 
the because the Social Democrats came first still, and they they had they'd actually increased their seats, um, but the real winner of the election was the Danish People's Party. The Danish People's Party came second. There's only five points behind the Social Democrats. They um, were the biggest party in the Blue Bloc, um, but the Danish People's Party had very successfully mastered this strategy of using negative parliamentarism, sitting outside the government, but heavily affecting its policy profile. Right? Um, because basically, um, the real kind of pressure point that they were able to kind of extract gains on was the budget. Um, every time a budget came around, they kind of made huge numbers of demands and they were able to get them. Um, and, you know, other pieces of legislation, which the way. So now they were the largest party within the um, Blue Block, and the Blue Block had won the election. A lot of their supporters wanted them to form a government, and they decided not to do that and to remain as a support party, despite being the biggest party in, in the parliament, in the second biggest party in parliament, which led to this slightly odd situation in which um, Venstre, the third largest party, ended up forming a government. <laughs> and at first, it was literally just them. So they were like the third largest party. They only had 34 seats in, in parliament, and they ended up forming a government on their own. Um, because the um, other parties of the um, Blue Bloc didn't want to join them in this situation. And that was quite unstable. Um, but the social, but the People's Party used its position to put forward what they call a kind of paradigm shift on immigration. And Venstre and the Social Democrats both signed up to that paradigm shift um, to, try, to try and kind of get it through. What that basically did was it mainstreamed Danish People's Party's positions to a point where a lot of their issues had now basically been taken by the kind of two main parties in Denmark. Um, and immigration actually started to fall down the, the issue agenda for quite a long time. A lot of people, a lot of people think that what the Social Democrats did in 2019 was essentially um, adopt a position where they could talk about immigration a lot and a position that, um, that, that um, kind of benefited them. That's not quite true. What they basically did was kind of an inverse of what happened in 2001, is that by taking that immigration position, they neutralized the issue of immigration. And immigration ceased being a major issue in the election campaign. And actually what the Social Democrats spent most of the 2019 election doing was campaigning on the issue of climate change, which was a really painful issue for the Danish People's Party because they were incredibly internally divided on it. And so they they basically bent the election campaign, like not being very clear on whether they were pro the scientific consensus on, on climate change or not. Meanwhile, they also didn't have much more to say about immigration because basically their main policies had been taken by the other two. Their voters also felt quite fed up because they um, because they felt like they'd you know been supporting them for all these years and they'd given them the chance to actually lead a government. Um, and the other parties would have the other parties in the blue bloc would have quite happily have voted for for a Danish People's Party led government in in in. 
um, 2015, that much is clear. Like they didn't really have much of a choice. <laughs> um, the Danish People's Party, because of what the Social Democrats had done, Danish People's Party also started to kind of flirt with the idea of like, oh, maybe we might leave the Blue Bloc and form a coalition with the um, Social Democrats, like their, their leader, Dahl, and um, Friedrichsen, the now prime minister, started doing like joint interviews together and things like that, where they were like being really pally. <laughs> um, because, basically because the Danish People's Party had always been a kind of massive headache for the Social Democrats, because the Danish People's Party basically ended up being the most supported party amongst the working class in Denmark. That's kind of a major drain on them. They were taking quite a lot of votes out of them. Um, particularly from people in, uh, you know, trade unions were kind of doing polls of their members and finding that trade union members were supporting Danish People's Party in higher numbers than they were supporting the, the Social Democrats. So it was like a real kind of like existential crisis all these years of being in opposition, um, it, you know, because so Scandinavian social democratic parties are more than are perhaps more than elsewhere class parties. They are, they, they they really are parties of of uh, you know, historically of the working class. Um, so, uh, so so within all so by adopting this position uh, uh, position they were kind of more able to move into that territory and take some of those voters back because now the Danish People's Party were kind of left with this kind of sense of we're not supporting the people, they're not able, they're not willing to stand up and take government when they have the opportunity. They're not, um, they don't have much to say about immigration anymore. And the major issue is now climate change and they don't, and they don't seem to know what their stance is. Um, and as well, they also hit by a kind of series of scandals, as just you know happens. Um, so um, that's really interesting. I mean, we've we've been we've covered a lot of elections from a lot of parts of the world, and yeah. although climate change is a really you know it's probably the most important problem of our lifetime, um, it hardly ever makes it to. And it hardly it hardly ever structures like electoral cleavages, right? In such a yeah, clear... yeah. And you have seen this. You have seen this in a lot of European elections lately. Um, to be fair, it's not, but it, it's not perhaps not quite in the way it happened in Denmark because Denmark was a really interesting case because essentially the Social Democrats were able to adopt a position which was basically on the kind of two main things cutting them down. They basically took the kind of middle position on immigration or, you know, um, the kind of medium voter position on, on immigration, um, yeah. which allowed them, uh, it's not quite a case that they weren't, you know, adopting socially liberal positions in other areas, albeit, you know, less socially liberal than other parties in the centre-left at this point. Um, but, like, climate change is kind of classic seen as like a left liberal issue <laughs> and that was kind of one that they were kind of turning really to their advantage um so it was a it, it, i think people sometimes kind of like make this out as if as if the social democrats just went right i mean in some ways Friedrichsen, like particularly before the 2019 election less now to be fair um was talking about the idea of using going right on immigration to go left in other areas like she was kind of talking about the idea of 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 um like 
Heli Fawning Schmidt's government, the one that only lasted one term in 2011, was kind of unusually like liberal, liberally, uh, uh, was unusually economically liberal for the Social Democrats because of kind of where they'd been driven to. Um, they were kind of trying to kind of appeal to kind of even though they've gone already right on immigration, because immigration is such a huge issue in Denmark, they were also trying to kind of basically pull in more socially liberal people from the centre right. Um, it's, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it, uh, like the fundamental thing that you do have to grapple with in Danish politics is that the median voter is ultimately really like pretty like dedicated to. Um, supporting kind of more um, more anti-immigration policy positions, um, um, and yeah, that and 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 I would say as well that it's not quite the case that they're anti-immigration in every aspect. They are compared to other social democratic parties and compared to kind of mainstream opinion in Europe, still pretty like strongly, particularly anti-asylum seeker. Like their asylum seeker policies are like. Personally speaking, like not ones that I like in <laughs> any stretch of the imagination about the state things a bit. But at the same time, in this election, like one of the dominant issues in the election campaign has been that the healthcare system is like struggling. And they've been promoting the idea of um of immigration from overseas of kind of skilled healthcare of skilled healthcare workers. So they're they're willing to support um like immigration of like skilled uh, of skilled people into the country but it's just like asylum seekers you know people from islamic countries um you know things that are kind of identified with the muslim world um are, are kind of much more controversial and they're much more vocally anti that mm. um yeah i mean and no, and I'm going back to the comment on climate change. We did talk about the Norwegian election, where that was also obviously a huge deal. Mm. Um, uh, well, I'm yeah, just, you know, it's been something that's obviously been coming up in Germany, but like when, in cases like that, it's always like the rise of green parties, right? Um, and the, there are kind of parties that you can kind of identify as being part of a green tradition in Denmark, and and more of them have been appearing with time, but broadly speaking. Um, but it's the Social Democrats who kind of really benefited from that in 2019. Yeah. Um, it's, mm. I, albeit, like 2019 is also interesting in part because the Social Democrats didn't actually like gain many votes in 2019. What they basically did was by taking this position, they reshaped the territory that the red the red block was on. Because of what, what they basically lost socially liberal pro-immigration voters and um to their left or to the social liberals, um, but them gained votes out of the right, which I think is also kind of fundamentally the kind of thing that can only really happen in a in a PR system and a party system that looks like this, because um, you know, if 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 you're in a two-party system and you your kind of left-wing party like the Labour Party in the UK and you lose votes um, pro-immigration or kind of socially liberal votes, then that's much more of a threat to you than in a situation like this because they fundamentally knew. 
that the left wing part, the left bloc parties would always prefer them over the right bloc parties. So you can kind of afford to lose parties to your left, um, votes to your left, because that will boost people who will probably back you for government. Also, <laughs> um, when push came to shove, um, if you're kind of gaining votes from the right. So it's, in, in some ways, it's a strategy to reduce the votes of the right bloc rather than it's a strategy to increase your own votes, or at least it was in 2019. And um, so what were the, moving, moving beyond like kind of the, 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 the party dynamics, which are obviously mm. important, what are some of the, I don't know if you want to mention some of the characters involved in this election in particular? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so, well, actually, in some ways, this will probably get us back to party dynamics, but it's probably kind of good to get off the Social Democrats for a bit. So, um, but I think it's probably worth talking in terms of like what the, the Social Democrats adopting this position did to other parties in the system and what's happened to other parties in the system. So the other important thing, apart from the Social Democrats move in 2019, was the radical right essentially splintering. So um, as we talked about all the kind of problems that the Danish People's Party were kind of experiencing in 2019, they lost a lot of a number of votes to the Social Democrats, but they also lost votes to their right um, with kind of two, with two new right wing, well, three new right wing parties um, appearing on their right, um, some of which were incredibly horrific um uh, and extreme but um it, but um, um but only one of which actually hit parliament uh, actually hit the threshold which was a party called new right um which is kind of a a more has been often described as a more bourgeois um uh, radical right party because they're kind of they're right of the um of, of the danish people's party on immigration policy but they're also more economically liberal um, so it's a kind of party that's appealing to kind of more kind of middle class, kind of um, um, intellectualized kind of um, far right voter base. Some people have compared this to um, in the Netherlands, you now basically have two kind of major far radical right parties, the Party for Freedom, Gert Wilders Party, which appeals to a more kind of working class um, anti-immigration electorate and the Forum for Democracy, which appeals to a kind of more middle-class uh, um, anti-immigration electorate. Um, so uh, that's so that to some extent destabilized the blue block as a kind of potential block because it now meant that they had to deal with this kind of more extreme party um, and and also the potential that other even more extreme parties because there were two that only just missed out on the threshold might also get into the focal thing. Um, so that then caused some questions to arise from them. In some ways, Venstre going on this path of um, this path of um, endorsing the um, Danish People's Party's kind of paradigm shift itself um, also meant that now it and the Social Democrats were now closer together never before politically as well. So um, Lars Locke Rasmussen, who was the leader of the um, of Venstre at the 2019 election, and who had been a former prime minister, um, I'll generally refer to him as Locke, 
um, because basically Denmark has a shortage of surnames and they had three prime ministers called Rasmussen in a row. <laughs> um, so um, so the, the three prime ministers are usually pulled apart by using their middle names. Um, so Locke, um, um, so Locke, Locke um, basically started to talk about the idea of actually maybe Venstra could start forming governments with the Social Democrats. Um, like, yeah, our positions are now relatively close together, um, where you know he he and his predecessor had taken Venstra to a position of being much more pro-welfare state than it historically had been. Um, they were now on similar places on immigration. They were both broadly pro-European, with a kind of a couple of little bits of kind of Eurosceptic tendencies because Denmark is more Eurosceptic than most EU countries. Um, so, hey, why not? Um, that way we don't have to kind of deal with the radical right anymore. We, yeah, blah, blah. This was controversial in venture, it's fair to say, and um, there was a kind of power struggle and he lost it and he was replaced by a new leader. Um, and that then kind of led into a period where there were not just ructions on the radical right, but also ructions within the kind of tradi more traditional center right. Um, so for a long period um, between this election and the last election, um, the Conservative People's Party were looking like they might um, overtake Venstre to be the major party of the centre-right again. Um, and basically, Venstre and the conservative, Conservatives have competed in the past for the position of largest party. In the 80s, the Conservative People's Party were larger than Venstre and, and formed government and led governments for a number of years. Um, so that wouldn't be completely unusual. Um, but it would be a shock to the system because Venture has essentially been the larger party since the 90s. Um, so, um, and that was in part because the Conservative leader seemed quite charismatic and um, he, he, um, they, he, he was incongruent. But then he actually, this year, he ran into a kind of series of scandals, which um, basically which some of which were to do with personal details. He also said some, uh, he also made a incredibly stupid comment by describing Greenland as Denmark's Africa. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a smart thing to say. <laughs> um, so yeah, that caused some issues. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he uh so yeah that, so in the end um the so in the end the conservative people's party have actually ended up falling back a little bit in this election after he kind of powered them to one of their better results at the last election um at the same time uh, also something that also happened was that um this fight over position kind of kept on going there were basically three main characters in this one of them was um, was the leader of Venstre, um, Jacob Eleman Jensen. I haven't managed to establish this fully, but I get the sense that he has perhaps not been the most popular leader of Venstre, given the party's polling and um, and um, internal kind of frictions. Um, Locke, and then a third character, um, Inga um, Stolzberg, 
who was the former immigration minister in the last um, in Locke's last government. Um, she basically got herself into legal trouble of sort because it basically turned out that she had taken issues on immigration which were illegal um, to attempt to split up um, cu um, couples and families, um, which um, is obviously um, had obviously been deeply unpopular um, with um, with the left and with some of the kind of more liberal elements of the Blue Rock, but which had been quite popular with the kind of more more anti anti immigration part of the Danish electorate. Um, and so she split off and formed a new party called Denmark Democrats. And that name might sound a little bit resident of the Sweden Democrats, which who we discussed in our Sweden episode, which is on purpose. Um, very much kind of like trying to model herself a little bit on the Sweden Democrats, coming from a very different inheritance, of course, because the Sweden Democrats have this kind of history of like starting off as a neo-Nazi party and moderating over time. Um, but she, but fundamentally trying to kind of model herself in terms of image on them. Um, she was immediately joined by four MPs from the Danish People's Party, because the Danish People's Party was at that point basically completely falling apart over its leadership. Um, it, it, um, it, it, yeah, um, they've now got a new leader called Morten Messerschmitt. Uh, in fact, I won't try and say his name because it's a mouthful. Um, but basically, their current leader is from the kind of hard right of the Danish People's Party. And he's also got a history of um, of um, fraud in the um, European Parliament, which uh, and uh, and then on top of that, he also apparently um, was fairly horrendous towards his parliamentary group. And so he lost about 10 MPs um, because of that. <laughs> um, so, um, so the Danish People's Party has been going through a lot. <laughs> like, um, so she was joined by four members of the Danish People's Party. And I would say, in essence, the Denmark Democrats have taken the kind of position that the Danish People's Party had beforehand. They're kind of similarly starting, they're similarly in a kind of more moderate position on the welfare state than the traditional parties of centre-right, um, while also being um, a party that is um, you know, clearly in a kind of right-wing populist space, it's clearly kind of prioritising immigration as its main subject um, matter. And then additionally, Locke broke away himself and formed a new party called the Moderates, where he said that rather than joining either bloc, he was going to um, attempt to be a kingmaker in the election. Um, he was still, Locke has always been actually quite popular. Um, there's a different kind of electorate that followed with him. Um, and so Venstra basically managed to spawn two major new parties <laughs> out of itself um, during this election. Uh, uh, during the kind of process of the last um, three years since the last election. I suppose the one thing that we haven't talked about actually is, is why there was an election. Because um, this yeah. is the year ahead of schedule. Um, 
the the story is well i mean it's been compounded by all the stuff that we've been talking about about the kind of differences between that like, within the blocks and obviously we've been governing social democrats have been governing as um uh a, a quite a small party comparatively with nowhere near the majority um had no having no coalition partners mm. comparison to the 2011 to 15 government where they did govern with the social liberals and with the socialist people's party for a time um they they had done nothing i mean partly because now their immigration positions were quite distinct from mm. um, as well um this is compounded by a um was a covid issue um where so Den- denmark is the big one of the biggest exporters of mink fur mm-hmm. i knew until this election happened um but apparently that is a huge industry and during the pandemic, a something that was known as cluster five um, was identified within the mink population, which was a kind of COVID variant that people got very worried about. So Matt Fredrickson said that all the mink would be going to be uh, put down um, throughout mm. the, like the entire, and obviously that's, people were not happy because this killed the, industry for at least temporarily um on this and then other people were not happy because of the the animal cruelty kind of grounds of it mm. regardless this was found in a report and a commission report that was um, published um in october that this was um illegal basically and that she hadn't been allowed to to, to undertake this and the social liberals used this as a as a reason to pull the plug on the whole thing yeah uh, yeah and i have to say i don't think that's the only reason really because basically the social liberals social liberals since the 90s had in some ways been had been the closest ally of the of the social democrats and they have kind of been pushed into that position by despite historically being a party that kind of drifted between left and right because of its kind of Pro-abrasion position, but the Social Liberals are basically a party that is, is it, it it's kind of more centrist on the economy than the other right wing part. But it's still quite economically liberal. It kind of favours quite kind of globalisation in basically all of its forms, um, like Social Liberals parties tend to do, um, and so they, um, and so this move to be kind of more anti-immigration um basically puts the social basically means that the social liberals have more lines of which they are divided from the social democrats because they they had a kind of division over the economy before that they could kind of like work out deals on and you know social liberals who often had often had an outsized um impact on economic policy under so um for the kind of well had a kind of outsized impact on economic policy during the um heli funding schmidt government um because of their basically swing position in parliament um but um but by doing this to kind of like divide themselves from them and so relationship between the social liberals and the social democrats are becoming quite bad for quite a while um as well as um, relations with the two parties to the left of both of them, 
the um, Socialist People Party, who we've kind of already briefly mentioned, and the Red Green Alliance, who are kind of who are basically who are basically an alliance of radical left parties, but who are also quite pro-immigration. Red Green Alliance is quite frequently. Um, has occasionally ran like candidates wearing headscarves and so on, which is you know, something of a red flag to some parts of the um, Danish right. Um, but yeah, um, I thought, thought I'd just briefly touch upon them. But, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and and and, and um, although climate played such an important role in in. 2019 election as well the other parties of the left block have been have been critical of, of lack of action um on mm. the social democrats as well there's also become a bit of a, a wedge issue within the within yeah. um although the social democrats have again made it a, a fairly big part of their campaign again after after yeah, yeah. like this um yeah and, and and finally one final issue as well um i mentioned before that the um right had basically been becoming more unstable in terms of its ability in terms of its cohesion um another issue is um a, a party called the alternative which is basically like it's the smallest component of what was the um red block it's, it's the newest entrant it's kind of a green party quite kind of passionate about part democracy but the alternative has been quite internally chaotic. Um, I think it's fair to say, like going into this election, two of the MPs um, elected the previous election and broken away. You know, the party has been, um, it, it continues to have an electorate clearly, but um, it has been a little bit messy. And like, just like when you're kind of talking about a situation where quite often Danish governments are hanging on a kind of few seats, um, that stuff matters. <laughs> um, like the smallest party in your your um, block can be a kind of major issue if they're um, kind of having kind of little uh, um, little crises all the time. I also was not aware of the mink. Um, the mink that. No, I, I wasn't either. Ignited, ignited, ignited the. the I, I knew that Denmark was the biggest exporter of bacon in the world, which I think is the case. <laughs> oh, yeah. This yeah. is the first time. This is the first time a an animal has uh, incited an election. I think that we've at least that we've covered. I'm sure there are others. Yeah. Um, the, the the alternative also ran a campaign which was um, very strongly against the um, the bacon export industry. So that Denmark should only produce enough meat that people in Denmark will eat, um, which I'm sure went down really well with farming communities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, pig farming is huge in Denmark. <laughs> so, yeah, Green Party, and I think also it's it's not really undergone that kind of shift to the centre that you see among some of the older ones, um, I guess. Yeah, which is interesting because the alternative actually developed as a splinter out of the social liberals. <laughs> so, like, um, but yeah, sometimes parties just like take on a life of their own, which is essentially what's happened with the alternative. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, the, like the breakdown of these blocks has, has uh, so yeah, yeah, that's a kind of another demonstration of the way that um the blocks are kind of breaking down um like 
the, the social liberals have classically always been for the idea of kind of broad governments of the centre. Um, and now the, the social democrats are talking about having a broad government of the centre, which explicitly excludes the social liberals. <laughs> um, I find a little bit funny. Um, I've got to admit, um, if, yeah, telling, um, because of the fact that the social liberals, uh, their relationship with the social liberals has become so bad. Um, and, and in part because the social liberals probably tried to push them towards a more, much more pro-immigration position than they now want to be in. Whereas the moderates, for example, I mean, the moderates are literally led by the man who was the main opponent of the social democrats for a good decade, who is now going around saying that he wants to form a government with the social democrats. <laughs> um, um, uh, and you know, and 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 also wanting to form a government with Venstre, who were their chief opponents for, um, for um, who have been their chief opponents for for most of their history, um, when they haven't been their chief opponents, been because the Conservatives have been their chief opponents. Um, so yeah, like really odd moment in terms of the party system, um, just like. A, kind of really big shift from like what has been the kind of typical positioning of the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and an interesting one too, because in a funny way, it, it kind of looks like the Social Democrats are dominant again, <laughs> um, in a way that like they were in the pre-2001 era. Well, sorry, I should probably actually say pre-1980s era because Denmark had uh, was kind of had a kind of pretty big shift towards the right in in the 1980s actually but um the but uh, kind of almost a kind of restoration to that position that they had in the 70s where like they could almost kind of start to pick and choose their their coalition partners and there was actually a brief grant there has actually been a grand coalition in Denmark before in 1978 where they kind of did they did a deal with Benistra, um, which yeah turned out to be was is remembered as something of a disaster, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this has to be either. Great. I mean, this was a very thorough rundown of um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. No, no, no. This was great. It was an interesting evolution of the party system and how we got to the two thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting moment in Danish politics. Um, and, and as I say, again, I, I think absolutely the most important moment in Danish politics since 2001. I, the, the Social Democrats are um, back with a vengeance, but in a position that is really unusual for a centre-left party. And now kind of moving into this position of basically trying to form grand alliances of the centre, which is a complete break from where Danish politics has been for the last few decades. I mean, they are trying to get the Socialist People's Party into government as well, from what I understand, um, which I suspect is in part because also because of dynamics of being in a coalition. Like whenever you're in a coalition, you want to basically be the middle party in the coalition so that you can kind of balance the others off each other. So you, they're looking at basically bringing in the moderates and Venstre, which are, who are both to their right, um, and then 
if you bring in the Socialist People's Party, that moves you back into the centre of the coalition. Um, and it would have that government would then end up being the first majority government in Denmark since the 90s with like a sizable number of seats. Although I'm not actually sure if they're talking about a majority coalition or if they're talking about like bringing in. It might be the case from the, what I've heard of the discussions that it might be that they're forming a coalition with the moderates only and Venstre and the Socialist People's Party are supporting them from the outside. But um yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think maybe we will uh leave Denmark on that note. Um the, mm. on the way we'll check in obviously we'll also check in because there is a now going to be a Faroese parliamentary election in December as well uh, that we can we can check in on as well. Um yeah, good, yeah, because I, I, it's now been a couple of weeks since the election. It's still not really clear completely who the, who the new government is going to actually have in it. So <laughs> maybe maybe worth discussing when we kind of do a roundup of the year how things might have gone with it, how things are going in Denmark. Yes, of course. Yeah, definitely. A follow up at some point. Um, it's time we are discussing um, good news from America somehow. Um, <laughs> well, at least relatively less bad news than we were expecting. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating to to see um, mm. to see election deniers lose. I mean that that that's yeah yeah kind of yeah. incredible. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, not to kind of like stomp all over that episode or anything. But I think the really interesting thing is that you can actually see that within the Republican Party that when like non-MAGA candidates are running, um, they're doing much better than kind of ones who are kind of election deniers or like strongly anti-abortion, things like that. So like voters are kind of picking and choosing um, totally. somewhat between different types of Republican. Yeah, wow. totally. That's a good cliffhanger for, for, the, for the next episode. Yeah. Cliffhanger, because we're, we're offering something quite nice. I don't know whether that's a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger normally presents someone in danger and then we reveal how they got out of it. Well, I mean, we still, at this point, because the American, because America takes so little account, still still don't know um, who's going to hold the house, which yeah. in a funny way is quite hysterical given that, like, given how far along we are in the count. But, <laughs> like, the idea that the house is still on line. <laughs> so... We'll, we'll be back when we know about that. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, let's goodbye for me. Uh, uh, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.